Contrarian. Demonstrators, let's go down now and first out City Hall. Let's go. What a way to end up 1966. Can you see Mayor Lindsay running down the West Side Drive trying to get out of the fun city? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, here we are down at the limelight. And ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that are listening to us tonight out there in your radios, I can only say that I am looking down upon a scene of unbridled debauchery. I'm looking down upon a scene of such sickening, orgiastic overtones as to make a man of goodwill sicken deep within him. You can hear the merrymakers here now, and if you listen carefully, you can hear the sound of girdles creaking. Oh, what a sickening sight. And they're sitting here, all of them wearing funny little hats. Hey, by the way, all of you get your horns up now. Get your horns ready. Now, wait, don't blow them until I give the cue, kid. Now, all right, now. If, now you can just tell that gummy jersey look, can't you? You don't know what the word cue means, see? All right, now, hold it, hold it now. Now, for all of you, all together now, let us all together. It is 1966, and it won't be for long. So let us all together, with our little tin horns, salute the tin horn sake. All together now, let's hear it. It sounds like the mating cry of 6,000 wounded buffaloes. You know? <laughs> yes, and you, know, you know, New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve, I, we're going to have to do a very special type of show here, down here on New Year's Eve. Because New Year's has a very particular and peculiar connotation for Americans. You know, most other places in the world, they don't celebrate New Year's Eve like this. You know, they just sort of walk around like any other day. But something within the American goes ape. At the end of the year, somehow, we've gotten rid of this crummy old year, <laughs> and we are about to start this fantastic new one. You know, the deep secret feeling that every American has is that January 1st, 1967, which is in just about, oh, an hour and a half or so, the instant it hits, something within him will change. He will become more dynamic. He will become more... Hey, wait a minute, honey. Wait to throw them around later. There's one getting out of hand over there with the confetti. So, all right, baby. We got a show going on up here. All back. Okay. And so they begin, they begin, at, I say it about three days before New Year's, and they start plotting that New Year, what it's going to be like, see? And, it, and we start making resolutions. 
Have any of you ever actually made resolutions, or do they only do that on TV shows? Or on, uh, in the comic strips? But I can remember my mother. One week before New Year's, I'm a little kid, see? I'm about nine. Every year we would do this. And they are preparing to go out to a big party. How many of you remember when your mothers and fathers would go to a gigantic party, see? And you were either taken along with it, or it was at your house, and you had to sleep under all the coats. You know? And you're lying under the coats, see? And out there in the next room, you could hear all the adults. And they're hollering stuff like, Hey, baby! Whoopee! Oh, baby, wow! Oh, and then you hear guys say, Hey, did you hear the one about the six Irish bartenders? And the bulldog down on 3rd Avenue. You see this rabbi came in, and then somebody says, Watch it, Carl, the kids are listening. And here you are in the bedroom like this. And right now, remember this, you're the adult, see? You're out. <laughs> you're out on New Year's, and somewhere out there in the darkness, there are 48 million kids who are not out and who figure if they can only once get out on New Year's Eve like the big people somehow they would be admitted to the adult world and when I was a kid every week before New Year's my mother would say well have you made up your resolutions yet? you know I'm nine my kid brother is he's seven see Then my mother would turn to my kid brother and say, why don't you make a resolution not to, not to whimper under the day bed? That was the only art form my brother knew. And my mother would look at me and she would say, why don't you make a resolution that you shouldn't burp so much? That was my art form. And so, this whole concept of the resolutions and the idea of how to develop a new, bigger, more dynamic personality, a new world, is why we're here tonight. But in Chicago and places out there like Los Angeles, the idea of New Year's Eve is always to go someplace that is vaguely shifty. <laughs> you know that? The, the nightclubs and all this jazz. And when I was a kid, my dad and all of, his, all of his friends and my Uncle Carl and my Uncle Tom, my Uncle Charles, New Year's Eve, they would go to this thing called the Burlesque Show. The Burlesque House. And my mother would go with once in a while. My old man would take my Aunt Min. All of them would go and they'd all get dressed up. And all of us kids would sit there and watch them go, see. They're going to this place called the Star and Garter. <laughs> you ever hear of this place? <laughs> How many of you have ever been in an actual burlesque house? Well, every, every New Year's Eve, I get this vague sense of peculiar guilt because of what me and Schwartz and Flick and Bruner did one New Year's Eve. We're kids, see? We're about 14 years old. We are just beginning high school. And you know that period in, in life when you're sort of made out of cellophane. And the sun shines through you and the street lights shine through you. But you don't know it. You think you're on top of it. You know, you're walking around. 
Are you looking at chicks? <laughs> They're always on the other side of the street, see? You're looking at them. I can remember that 14th year, you know, I'm walking down the street. It was the first moment when it began to awaken, see? I got my fielder's mitt. You know, I'm going to the ballpark. And about a half a block behind me is Flick. He's got his fielder's mitt. We're heading to the ballpark. And all of a sudden, I see this little character, this little creature on the other side of the street. It's Esther Jane. Esther Jane, you know, she's walking along being a girl. In a special world, haven't they, man? You know, she's walking along. She's got her sheepskin coat on. I see her. I suddenly feel this thing inside of me. I reach down. I pick up a rock. I see her. See, I'm, I'm waiting for a bang shot. She is now just walking past the sign. Watch this one. Sing! And then with that, have you ever actually scored a jackpot, guys? You see it, it's going right at her. Oh, no, no. And it's gone. And she spun up in the air, and as I looked across, her eyes met mine, and they were saying, oh, at last you love me. I belted her in the back of the head, you know. And from that minute on, it was, you know, all the time, no matter what you were doing, when you were out in the football field going out there for a pass, you're looking to see whether the chicks are watching, you know. That was the beginning of it all, and now it is New Year's, see. We've got this whole big two weeks off. Christmas is over. You know, that didn't work out. You know, all that stuff. I gave my old man a flip gun for Christmas. You know, oh, he was a great mosquito hunter, you know. My idea of a great gift, and he loved it. It had a pistol grip on it and everything, you know. My mother got a dozen, a beautiful dozen presentation package of Brillo pads. Christmas, you know, and it didn't work out. Now it's that week between Christmas and New Year's, see. Me and Schwartz, Flick and Bruner, we're walking along, you know, we're 14. Boy, you know, our souls are starting to get hairy, you know. Walking down a street. It's New Year's, about three days off. And Flick was that one kid, you know, there's, there's one kid in every crowd. This is the kid who tells the other kids jokes. And the other kids don't understand them. Nor does the kid who tells them. But they all laugh, you know. Oh yeah, for years I thought I had something to do with hockey, see. I couldn't, couldn't quite figure... I, I, uh, it's very funny, see, you know, they played it in Canada or something, you know, and, and I'm, I'm walking down the street, me and Flick and Schwartz and Bruner is about three days, oh boy, you know, even tonight when I'm coming down, kind of driving down here, you know, gone down to the village and I pass all these nightclubs and all that stuff, I felt this funny feeling inside of me, Shepherd, Shepherd, you once did an evil thing. Oh, yeah, that's not all. <laughs> I said to myself, and that other little boy says, yes, but it was New Year's Eve, Shepherd, and you were 14. You did a rotten thing, even to this day. Nobody knows about it in your family. I said, doggone right. Ain't gonna find out. Then that other voice says, oh, yeah, it's gonna come out one day, and then your name is gonna be mud, if not something worse. I said, well, it already is. 
says, yeah, well, there's always worse things than mud. And so we had this battle all the way down the street, consciencing. You want to hear what I did that night? Yeah. Are you really sure? Now, none of you are going to tell anybody out in Indiana, are you? No. All right. <laughs> Me and Schwartz and Flick and Bruno, that's awful, see? It's about three days before New Year's, and it's in that week, you know, between Christmas and New Year's, and school is about to start again. And it's kind of hanging in the middle there, and the snow is drifting down through the trees. We're walking down the street. We got our sheepskin coats on, you know, with our helmets. I got a set of goggles, you know, for Christmas, you know. And oh, was I bugged. <laughs> you know, I was at that point where my mother and all the people in the family still thought I was kind of a little kid. And they kept giving me things like helmets with goggles. And my mother would always make me wear it to go out. She says, Aunt Glenn might see you. And Aunt Glenn picked it out for you. So I'm wearing this crummy little hat, you know. And by the way, my Aunt Clara, that same Christmas, I'll never forget this moment. I'm 14 years old, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm walking around Christmas trees, see. And I pretend I believe in Santa Claus and all that stuff. And I said, oh boy, Santa sure did it all right, didn't he? You know, well, Santa, yeah. So I start opening, by the way, I was seven feet tall in those days, see. I open up this gift and it was from my Aunt Clara. And here sitting over here is my Aunt Clara. I had this aunt, you know, and everybody's got one aunt in the family who's the sad aunt. This is the aunt who always says, oh no, no, you, you, you go out and have a good time. I'll stay with the kids. And she was the one who always says, oh well, I, I don't go to parties. I just take care of the kids and things like that. She was that sweet, soft, fragile, transparent aunt. And you could hear her uppers clicking all the time. And here was Aunt Clara sitting over here. And I'm opening the package. It says, from Aunt Clara, with love. Open it up. I'm 14, you know. And I'm, what I'm really looking for is, say, something like a pair of racing skates, you know. A pair of brass knuckles or something, you know, really. Like a set of little, little books about Philly the Toiler or something like that, you know. The little blue covers, you know. What a great gift, you know. There's a guy that got them, apparently. But did you have the Winnie the Winkle set? That was very good, yeah. Uh, Jigs was very good, yeah. Excellent plot, yeah. And I'm, artwork was beautiful. I'm, and I'm sitting, you know, we're opening this package, and Aunt Clara sitting over here. Open it up, and what stares out at me? Yes, bunny slippers. These two little pink bunny slippers with the big pink ears with the white inside, you know. And they've got two little eyes looking up. Oh, jeez. Oh, bunny slippers. I said, oh, thank you, Aunt, Aunt Clara. <laughs> it's just what I wanted. <laughs> and she says, put them on. <laughs> oh, gee, you know. I put on a bunny slippers, you know. And they're big. They're like little fur bowling balls, you know. <laughs> and I walk around. These two little eyes kept looking up at me. And they were pink, you know. And my mother says, aren't they nice? Genies wear them every day. <sighs> so every day I would get up, I'd put on my bunny slippers. Because my Aunt Clara might come over and have coffee with my mother. I'm wearing the bunny slippers. So now here we're out and we are being honest. Four male type kids. 
The bunny slippers are back there in the bedroom. All that kid stuff, they gave me a bathrobe with Donald Duck on it. You know, oh, that was a great gift, see? And they said, oh yeah, and they gave me some little game. I'll never forget that little game. It was called Mickey Mouse. Wasn't until later when I saw a beautiful film in the Army that that name had any meaning, you know? So, you know, they'll have to explain that during the break. <laughs> but so here I am, you know, me and Schwartz and Flick and Bruno were walking down the street and the wind is blowing. And we had this thing, you know, every, every New Year's Eve, we would go to some kid's house for a party, maybe now we're 14. Or maybe we'd go down to the Orpheum. And the Orpheum always had a triple Tarzan, triple feature on New Year's Eve. And they had a drawing for a bicycle. All the kids would get on there, you know. So I'm walking along with Schwartz and Flick. Bruner. Flick says, uh, what are we going to do New Year's Eve? Schwartz said, well, I guess we go to the Orpheum. And Bruner just sort of trailed along. He was the kid in the crowd, always just was with it. You know, the one that just was with it, see? And then Flick says, hey, listen. What do you say this New Year's we go to the Star and Garden? And all of us stood there for a second. What a fantastic concept. By the way, the Star and Garter always had gigantic ads in the Chicago Herald Examiner. Big ads. And it always showed this naked lady, gigantic naked lady, and she had pigeons crawling all over her. And it says, tonight in person in the real flesh. And that was that ad. We had seen it. So the four of us are walking down the street, thinking about this. And then Schwartz says, well, how could we get in? Flick says, my uncle's a musician. Maybe he can get us tickets. He had this, he had this, by the way, it was the first guy I ever saw in my life that had long, he had real long sideburns. He had a hip uncle. Very early hippie. And so Flick says, maybe we can get tickets to go see that. And then there's that fear builds up inside. Go to the Star and Garden. Go to the burlesque show. That's where my Uncle Charles, where my dad went. That's where Uncle Fred went. And they would come home after New Year's and they would talk. They would whisper, boy, what about the time she came out with the fan and they put the purple, shh, the kids are listening. Now, it is a realm within possibilities. So we're walking along. And Schwartz says, yeah. I said, yeah, it's not a bad idea. And two days later, I will not go through the details, we had four balcony seats through the midnight performance on New Year's Eve at the Star and Garter. And appearing at the Star and Garter was this lady with those beautiful pigeons. And not only that, there was a lady with a set of fans there was another lady that was billed as do, doing some fantastic gymnastics off a velvet swing. There was a lady, oh, I, on and on, it was going to be a big New Year's Eve party. And so, the same day as New Year's Eve, my mother is hanging over the sink, 
She's in her chenille bathrobe. She's got her Brillo pad in her hand. And she's preparing a little thing, you know, they're going to go out tonight. My mother and my father are going to see Aunt Glenn, and they're all going to have a big whoopee party. My kid brother is going to stay with Aunt Clara. My mother turns to me and says, what are you going to do tonight? You know, I was 14. We were allowed to go to parties. She says, what are you going to do tonight? We're going over to Esther Jane's house. We're going to have a party at Esther Jane, me and Flick and Schwartz and Helen Weathers and everybody. We're going to play spin the bottle. We're going to play post office. You know, we're just going to have a big party. She said, that's nice. I said, yeah. <laughs> sure is going to be nice. <laughs> and she went, wow. But so that night, you know, it's getting later and later. <laughs> it's now about 8 o'clock in the evening. And my mother's getting all dressed up. You remember how it used to be when your mother's all getting dressed up? You know, she's got her hair up in curlers. And the old man is in the john. He's putting the white shirt on. First time he's had a white shirt on in eight months, you know. He's putting a white shirt on. He's got this striped tie that lights up, you know. Yeah, my father wore that kind of stuff. And he had a pinstripe suit with a big elk's tooth that hung down, you know. He's in there getting dressed. And I am in the bedroom. I am in the bedroom getting out the stuff that I'm going to wear to Esther Jane's party. See? I've got my sport coat laid out. There's my shirt. My kid brother is under the day bed, you know. He's whimpering. He's going to spend the whole night with Aunt Clara, you know. How many of you had those terrible dull feelings in your gut when you had to spend the night with Grandma? or with Aunt Glenn, or somebody in your family, and she'd give you Fig Newtons and milk. Yeah, my grandmother always, the minute we would walk in the house, she had this bottle, this big jar of rubber Fig Newtons. She bought them when the first kid was born, around the turn of the century, you know. And every month she'd give one more, and these Fig Newtons were 107 years old. And we'd sit there and chew the Fig Newtons, you know. All night, like she said, you want some milk? And you can you know that grandmother smell? You know that smell? It's kind of like powder and, and flowered print dresses and wax fruit. And it's, it's the smell of lace tablecloth and the smell of steam heat. That's that sickening smell of I'm not going anywhere tonight. So my kid brother's going, ee, ee, ee. He's, he's working up, you know, he's working up to spending the night with Aunt Clara. And my cousin Buddy, who was his age, you know. And somewhere off in the distance you can hear Buddy. And my cousin, my cousin Chuck is whimpering. They're all, but me and Flick and Schwartz and Broner. We are going to do the real thing tonight, see. And so sure enough, at 8.30 that night, my mother and my father take off in the car. And the instant they take off in the car with my kid brother, I'm alone in the house. See, I go to the phone. I dial it. I get Flick's mother. Is Flick there? Okay. <laughs> hey, Flick. I told her, Esther Jane. You said, Who? I said, Esther Jane, Alex Josway. You better tell her Josway's giving the party at Esther Jane's house. 
Look, I'll meet you in 20 minutes on Western Avenue. We'll take the streetcar. And keep your mouth shut, yeah. Okay, yeah. Are you going to bring some... Uh, we have even planned to bring... Now, get this. This is how evil we were going to be. Flick knew a place where he could get some Christmas wine. And we were going to bring a Coke bottle full of wine. And we were going to hide it in Flick's sheepskin. Got one of these big sheepskin with a big side pocket, see? We were really going to go all out. We were going to be rotten tonight. The whole thing. I said, hey, you got it, Flick? He said, yeah. I said, okay, I'll bring the straws. What do you mean shot glasses? What are they? We had an idea you drink things out of shot glasses, you know. We had seen plenty of movies, you know, with Edward G. Robinson always drinking a shot glass. So I said, okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah, you call Schwartz. Okay. I'll meet you at 9 o'clock, right? Yeah. Oh, gee. Oh, boy. Holy smokes. The burlesque house. The star and Carter. The midnight show. Woo! The whoopee girl. That was her name, by the way, the whoopee girl. We're going to see the whoopee girl. And so 20 minutes later, we're sitting in the streetcar. New Year's Eve, all dressed up. Flick's got the bottle of wine. We're 14 years old. We are heading for debauchery. <laughs> and up above us, of course, is that big sign, you know, the one that says, Do you offend? <laughs> I keep looking up, you know. Sitting in that streetcar, and the streetcar's rattling along, and there's all these grown-up people in it, you know. And they're going places. They've got black coats on and white scarves. There are ladies with long gloves. Me and Schwartz and Flick and Bruner. We arrive up near State Street. And, New and believe me, if you think New York is something on New Year's Eve, you ought to see Chicago. Unbelievable. It's like one gigantic whoopee party. We get out. We're all, yeah, here we are. We're in the, in the big city. We're in the middle of the crowd. Ten minutes later, we're standing in front of the Star and Garter. And there's thousands of guys with bald heads going in, you know. Oh, there's all kinds of guys, and half of them are drunk, and you can hear the yelling and the whoopee. And so the four of us walk up, and here's this guy taking tickets. He's got a tuxedo on. We walk past him. We walk up to him. Each one's got his ticket. He looks at us. How old are you? I'm 32. <laughs> he says, how old is that one? I say, he's my kid brother. He's 28. Here's Schwartz walking in. He says, 28, 32, okay, how about you? Here's Flick, he's up 50. <laughs> we had no idea of ages, you know, when you're, when you're 14, 50 is grown up, that's all, it's old, ancient, you know. And so these four middle-aged men walk in. <laughs> thousands of guys around his bald head, you know. And now we are in the Star and Garter. Have you ever seen the inside of a burlesque house when you're 14 oh boy got a stage thousands of guys just sitting down and there are people all dressed up now we're up in the balcony waiting you can hear the people talking and then it started oh let me tell you what a, what a sound you could hear booms at the 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 booms Booms at the booms at the booms at the booms at the booms. And Schwartz says, listen to that, they're playing a drum. 
and some guy behind us, shut up, you kid. Because I am 38. <laughs> and the screen, you know, the curtain goes back, and it's all red up on the stage, and purple and green. All four of us, green, four of them. All of a sudden, out of this gigantic, beautiful pile of feathers that float, here comes, here comes the whoopee girl. She's seven feet tall. And I can hear the tom-tom. Boom, 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 And she starts to go. Boom, boom, boom. Flick is sitting there. Somehow it was so different from the PTA meetings, you know. It wasn't the kind of dancing. And this big, this big, she had a big white dove. And the dove is going up and down her arms. And Schwartz says, I like birds. <laughs> and guys started to stand up in front of him. All of them are seven feet tall. I can't see. And then they applaud. And then they all sit down and she's gone. say that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard our salute to 1966. <laughs> and, and, and you know, it, it's kind of sad when you think about it. We, we have just entered the last hour of 1966. <laughs> well, wait a minute, are you glad or are you happy about that? We have one hour, well, 55 minutes left of this year. And incidentally, you will never ever again, this, this year will never return. Well, now wait a minute, everybody goes, yay. One year from now, I will be saying, and now 1967 is about to go, you go, yay. <laughs> what does that mean you're closer to, Fred? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's all out there, you know. Now that everybody looks up. But you see, that's, that is, we've got just 55 minutes or so left of 1966. And you know, these New Year's, I'll never forget, speaking of New Year's Eve. By the way, there is an aftermath to going to the Star and Garter. I'll never forget the aftermath. We see this show, and we hear the tom-toms, and we, we buy the wallet. And we buy the candy kisses with the pictures inside. And now it's 1 o'clock in the morning, 1.30. Me and Schwartz and Flick and Bruner are out on the streetcar. And we get, we're about halfway home, see, and there's a whole lot of people all around us. And they're coming home from New Year's Eve parties. And you know what happens when people are coming home from New Year's Eve parties? Unbelievable. Guys are laying on the floor, you know. Other guys are hanging onto the hanging straps by one foot, you know. And they're just hanging on the streetcars, rolling through the darkness hour after hour, and it's going boom, 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 boom. And Schwartz is sitting next to me, see. And up here is Flick. Over here is Bruner. And all of a sudden, it occurred to Schwartz that we had not even touched the wine. We hadn't touched it at all. 
It just suddenly, he remembered it. And we'd been so caught up by this show that none of us had thought of it. And Schwartz says, hey, Slick. Slick, how about some of the wine? <laughs> Slick says, wine? Oh, yeah. And he takes out the Coke bottle. Here we are, all four of us, sitting there. And Bruner's looking scared. I'm looking a little, you know. At that time, I was just getting out of my malt stage. I was just beginning to dig Ovaltine, you know. And we're sitting there, yeah, my idea of a really strong drink was a Coke. You know, because it made bubbles for your nose, you know. It was a really, really strong drink. And we're sitting there, and Flick says, okay, you guys. Hey, you got, you got the cup, Schwartz? And Schwartz has these little paper cups. You know, these little tiny Dixie cups? The little ones, you know? And he had brought them from home, and all of them said on them, Happy Valentine's Day. And little hearts all over it, you know, it was the only thing he could get. And so Flick pours one for me, hands it back. I take this thing. Now all four of us are sitting in the streetcar. We are 14. And I swear not one of us has ever really tasted alcohol. Not really, but after all, it's New Year's Eve. We're grown-ups. We saw the Whoopi Girl. We saw the Tom Toms. And so I take this thing. Flick says, wait a minute. Uh, what are we going to toast? Let's go. Um, how about toasting the shield? Flick says, ah, oh, that old bat. You know, every kid calls his teacher that old bat. That old bat. He says, well, let's, let's toast the new year. And all around us are these drunks. Their derby hats falling off, you know, guys rolling up and down the aisles. And each one of us takes this thing. <laughs> Boy, is that great! <laughs> oh, that's really great! <laughs> that's great! <laughs> we still got a full glass. Well, it took us 20 minutes to drink that little glass. And the streetcar is rocking. Flick pours four more. We drink them down. It's funny how easy they get. We drink the third one down, and all of a sudden, I see next to me, Schwartz is sliding down. I say, Schwartz, what are you doing on the floor? Schwartz looks up, and he's got six eyes going around. I say, Schwartz, you got six eyes. And Schwartz looks up, and he says, you got five. And I look around, and it was fantastic. Flick has turned his head all the way around twice without turning his neck. And, 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 and Bruner is completely gone. It all happened at once. When we arrived at our stop, oh, what an embarrassing moment. All four of us get up. And how many of you remember that first moment, that absolutely first instant of alcoholic dizziness? You know, I got up. The streetcar is standing still. But I can see the seats moving. I can see these guys, these drunks, and these ladies with the evening dresses. And the streetcar conductor turns around 
and all four of us are trying to get out. The streetcar guy, you know, with a big hat, he turns and he says to the whole crowd, look at them drunken kids. Boy, the world sure is going to hell. Kids weren't like that when I was a kid. Well, sure weren't like that. And all these ladies are looking up, and they're all pie-eyed, you know. Oh, how awful is this? Terrible. And now we were out on the street. We're out on the street, and, and it's dark. Flick is over somewhere. He lives over that way somewhere. Schwartz lives down there. Bruner lives next to me. Flick goes off into the darkness. Schwartz disappears. And me and Bruner, Bruner's littler than me, too. Me and Bruner go down the street, and I got a hold of his arm. He's got a hold of my foot. <laughs> and the two of us are staggering home. And by the way, one of the, one of the great moments during this little exodus was that past us on the other side of the street went Mr. Bruner. The young junior was just starting. Mr. Bruner had been drunk since last New Year's, see? He celebrated all year round, you know. Every year went by, he got pie-eyed for a year, you know. And so you saw him, he, was, he always walked. He had a fantastic walk. You see, he would walk with one foot in the, like this, on the curb, you know. The old guy would walk along like this. Somehow, he, he used the curb, see, to keep him going straight. That's how he would head down Cleveland Street, like that, you know. And then he would get to the point where it turned off. So he would go to, would come to the corner, and then he knew from here on in it was trouble. <laughs> He'd stop like this, and he would sink down to his knees. And I can remember evenings looking out and seeing Mr. Bruner silhouetted against the streetlight, working his way across the street. <laughs> you ever seen a guy hold down to the street like that? <laughs> Somehow, his, he always saw the street as some big escalator, you know? <laughs> well, now he would arrive at the driveway, and we had, this, we had this driveway that had a grade to it, see? And he would start to crawl up the driveway. It was made out of gravel. He would crawl up, and at 2 o'clock in the morning, one of those great, inspiring sounds. You'd lie there. I'm lying in bed. See, I'm a kid. Every night, I would hear at 2 o'clock in the morning, the sound of Mr. Bruner going up the driveway. And you'd hear... <coughs> as each knee dragged its way, slowly, painfully up, and then you'd hear him hit the top of the grade. See, he's going uphill. Once in a while, you'd hear him slide back. Like <coughs> and now he hit the top of the grade, and you'd hear him go... There would be a pause. He's up there now. He's gathering strength. And I would lay there listening to him. And in the next room, I hear my mother. She has turned and she is saying to my father, there comes that drunken bum home again. It's Junior Bruner's dad. And then you'd hear him slowly work his way over on the side of the house. You ever heard that sound of a guy going... You'd hear him hitting the boards, boom, boom, boom. And now he'd pause. He's looking, at the, he's looking at the steps that lead up to the kitchen. He would be tilted for one instant. 
said slowly, up would go the first foot. And you'd hear him next door. I said, he's on the first step. There would be a pause. He's on the second step. There were seven steps. Then you'd hear, and then, What a fantastic, what a beautiful, what a magnificent salute to human courage, human stick to itiveness. In spite of all difficulties, Bruner was going to make the kitchen. How like all of mankind. Thunk. And then you'd hear, the, you'd hear the kitchen door open, and Mrs. Bruner's voice would come out. She'd say, Ralph, is that you, Ralph? Is that Ralph? Is that Ralph? There'd be this big blast of rot gut, you know. She said, is that you, Ralph? Ralph, watch out for that fourth step. That's a tricky one. She loved him. Just as simply as that. And you knew that old Bruner was going to make the kitchen now. And Mrs. Bruner could put away her copy of True Romances. She could put away her copy of Screen and Photoplay and tuck Mr. Bruner in for another night. But there was always another day. And so here is me and Bruner struggling along and across the street is his old man. And he is about two lengths ahead of us. And Bruner sees him. He says, wait. It's my dad. I said, what's the matter? You can go in the front door. And all the while inside of me there's something going boop. I never felt this before, you know? It's like the Jersey swamps under a hot sun, you know? You know that boom. And every time it would do that, it'd go boom, and then something would go off. And this faint blue gas would come out of my ears. Boom. Boom. And I got a hold of Bruner, and I get Bruner up to the driveway, and I head him off, see? I will never forget that sight. Here is the old man going up the driveway now, and right next to him, slightly behind, Bruner is down on his knees. <laughs> you know, a family that gets drunk together, friends. <laughs> I say a family gets drunk together, crawls together. <laughs> and there they were going up the driveway. See, so I. This is, you know, I never, I never realized till that minute we had two front doors. You know, <laughs> I go up the steps. I'm, you know, I'm fighting. You know that terrible feeling of fighting. I stand up straight. I am being perfectly normal. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with me, you know. I get the door open. I am now in the living room, see, and it's dark. And I observe that in the next room, in the kitchen, there is a light. I'm struggling through the living room. I gotta get to bed. When all of a sudden my mother is in the doorway. She says, is that you, Jeannie? Uh. 
I tried to say yes, and it got caught in a burp, see? Or, oh! That blast, you know? She says, what happened to you? There's nothing. And then, oh, all of a sudden, you know, that seeing her smelling the red cabbage in the kitchen, you could smell the coleslaw she always made. You could smell the ketchup. My father put ketchup on everything, you know? As a matter of fact, he shined his car with ketchup. Oh, yeah, he used everything ketchup. You know, we painted the walls with it and everything. You could smell ketchup. And, oh, it hit me. Oh, did it hit me. Oh. I hope no, none of you have to go through this tonight. <laughs> Later on, all of a sudden, it's fantastic. I can just feel it coming up. I make a turn to the left. I'm suddenly in the john. I can't, re I can't get the switch. My mother says, quick, in the john. Well, I'll never forget, it caught her just coming in the door. Just went right across her, see? And, and she is wearing her party dress. She has just gotten home with just like a giant spray. And she says, oh, Jeannie, you're sick. Oh, oh, you're sick. Oh, how awful. She says, here, let me hold you. And now I've got my head down in the sink. You know how terrible, how terrible the sink looks under those conditions, you know? <laughs> the sweat is pouring out. <laughs> she got me by the back of the neck. She says, here, here, put some cold water. <laughs> it went back down again. <laughs> And in the next room, I hear my kid brother, he's whimpering again, you know. He hears something going on, he just... Would you believe a tennis shoe came up? She's got me by the back of the head. She says, oh, you're sick. Oh. oh. And now you know that feeling that comes back. There's a little swing coming back. Did you have a good time at the party? At the party? At the party? Yeah. She said, Esther Jane, have a nice cake. Cake, yeah. Uh, 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 uh. She says, you must have ate too much. Says, yeah, yeah. Got a bad Coke. And now I am in bed. She put me in bed, see. And I'm lying there in the sack and that I could feel the room just vaguely going. 
My kid brother's in the next bed, you know, and he's all curled up. He's scared. You hear? And my mother goes into the next room, and she is talking to my father. And she says, don't worry, he's going to be all right. The old man says, where was he tonight? He didn't get like that at Esther Jane's. She says, shh, he just had a bad Coke. Yo, man, you mean he got a bad Coke? She says, yes, shh, he'll be all right. He's okay. He's okay. And she comes and looks in the bedroom. See, I see her outlined against that light. And she says, now go to sleep. Just go to sleep. You'll be okay. I'm lying there. It is a new year. A new year. I'm going to be a new man. I'm going to be a new person. And then I slowly drifted off into darkness, into sleep. And the next morning, when I woke up, the light is just trickling in under the shade. I woke up, and it was unbelievable. I reached up. I had a head. It was fantastic. As far as I could reach my hands out, I could touch it. It was 20 feet across. And that day at breakfast, I sat there in front of the Ralston, toying with it, you know. My mother, my mother looked at me and she says, you must have had a good time at Esther Jane's. It was a good party, wasn't it? I said, yeah. Sure was. And then I began to feel this, this terrible feeling, you know, of guilt. My mother, she's in her chenille bathrobe. And she's got her curlers in again, you know. And she's got the Brillo pad in her hand. And I'm sitting there. How many of you have this feeling? I'm sitting there. You're a rotten person. What if your mother knew that you went to see that lady with the, with the birds on her? You're a terrible person. She thinks you were at Esther James eating birthday cake. You're an awful person. And I went out, and coming down the street is Flick. Flick's got three heads. And I can see Schwartz coming down the hill. You can see where he's been crying. And Bruner comes down off of his porch, and all four of us meet. And something in our eyes said, don't ever mention it again. And we didn't. Flick says, you want to toss a football around? <laughs> so we decided what we were going to do is just go back of the garage and lean on the wall. Bruner leaned on me, Schwartz leaned on Flick, and all of us leaned on the garage. And that watery winter sun of the new year rose high up over the gas works. And we knew that a new world was ahead. And do you know, friends, to this very minute, 
I don't know whether my mother knew I was drunk or not. We have never mentioned it, except once in a while she calls, like she might call later this week, and she'll say, did you go to a New Year's party? And I say, yeah, Mom, <laughs> yeah. Did you get any bad Coke? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and so wherever they are tonight, let's give those poor homeless drunks a hand. Let's hear it. <laughs> you know... <laughs> You know, speaking of poor homeless drunks, what radio station is this? And, and what magnificent fun city are we in tonight? Oh, what a fun city. Oh, oh, come on, kids. Typical Jersey humor, you know. Cutting insights and very clever. Oh, boy, it comes out. Comes out like a poor old sad arthritic pickle, you know. The blue pill. <laughs> been thinking all year about it. I get him, you know, I get him. Oh, yeah. Oh, tonight's his night to howl, so let him howl. You know, we've got, now hold on there, gang. Now hold it now. We've got just 30 minutes. 30 minutes before 1967 officially begins. We got just one half hour of 1968, 1963, 19... What year was it? Oh, it was. He knows. There's always one sucker to fight. <laughs> no, seriously, though, somebody here said, said a lot of guys this year, unfortunately, are in the Army, that I should do an Army New Year's story. Now, you want to hear one? Well, well, I'm going to tell you one Army New Year's. I'll never forget this one. It was spent. Now, you know all of it. You know where we are tonight. We're down on, for those of you that are listening, we're down on 7th Avenue South. Now, you might not know the geography of New York, but we are just, oh, I'd say about 30 or 40 blocks out of the center of Manhattan. Now, how many of you have ever seen 23rd Street? You know 23rd Street, just a little bit north of us here? I'll never forget one New Year's that I spent in the Army. You know, you never think about what Army guys think, how they really are, what they really do in their nitty-gritty day-after-day walking-around world. Every time you see the Army, it's always pictured in combat. You know, where Rip Torn is saving Gregory Peck. That's a great army, you know. Either that or you see it on old, old movies. You see Errol Flynn is about to capture Burma. Or how many times have you, did you see Winged Victory here a couple of nights ago on TV? You know, Winged Victory where it seems like all the GIs can tap dance. And have you noticed that in every GI movie, every last, well, practically every play, every movie that's ever made on GIs from the bridge over the River Kwai to uh, Stalag 17 to Wing Victory, there's always a moment when the GIs turn around and they all say, let's have a show. 
And the next thing you know, they're all dressed up like women. Now, maybe that says something about the guys that make that movie. I don't know. And, you know, they got a mop on their head, and they all come out, roll out the barrel. We'll have a barrel of fun. And the G.I.s are sitting there applauding, and it's the big Christmas show in the movie that is a bunch of you-know-what. In all the years I was in the Army, I never saw once, now, maybe other guys did, I never saw once somebody get up in the barracks and say, let's have a show. Wait, I'll take it back. I'll take it back. Just one time, and I'll tell you, one time it happened. We all went down to the Post Theater, and you know, we were just about ready to go overseas. We've been in the Army about a year now. We're all highly trained, bugs, angry. We're waiting in the POE. And they took us down to the Post Theater, and they had one of these movies. Here's Donald O'Connor dressed up like a PFC. And here's Vance Johnson dressed up like a second lieutenant. And they're out there doing roll out the barrel, see, with the second lieutenant. Well, we watched that. And now we're back in the barracks. This is the only moment I ever heard anybody say that. We're back in the barracks. Company K. I mean, our morale, believe me, made a snake instep look like the Eiffel Tower. All right, Company K, you know. And we're sort of wandering back through the darkness. We arrive in the barracks. It's about five minutes before lights out. We all sit around. A couple of guys start taking their shoes off. We're about six minutes before we're going to go overseas. And one guy, there was always one guy in the barracks, in every company I was ever in, who was always hunched over by his footlocker, frantically writing a letter. And he'd look up with this scared look. And you knew that who he was writing to, forget it. You just knew by his look, forget it, he was dead. Dear Mildred, I think of you every night. Why haven't you written me since last July? I, I guess the mail is being held up. I have only been in this camp for nine months, so you can't expect the mail to get here that quick. Dear Mildred, I think, and that letter you wrote to me that started, Dear John, what did you mean? I, and you, there's always one guy like that, see, so he's over there, eating rice in the dark, see. So we're all sitting there, it's quiet. We've just seen Donald O'Connor. And now we're back in the real army. And all our M1s are hanging in the rack. You can smell the grease. And on each one of the big beams in the barracks, you can smell the butt tank. They've been there, and they have not been empty since the Boer War. You can smell old tobacco juice fermenting in it. I can smell my fatigue down here in my barracks bag. And somebody had sent me, I'll never forget this one, one of my aunts had sent me a fruitcake one and a half years before. And it was, yeah, I, you know, you can't, you can't throw away one of these packages, you know. And it arrived petrified. And now it's in the bottom of my barracks bag and it is beginning to ferment. It's now got twigs growing out of it, you know. 
and there's some old cookies in there and a couple of old jock straps and stuff. And I'm sitting there. And you know, the whole world, it's, it's the army, you know. And then all of a sudden, they blow the, the five-minute warning that means lights out. And boy, is that a lonely sound. What a fantastically lonely sound. And the, and the barracks begin to quiet down. A couple of guys are sliding into their bunks. And now, suddenly, all the lights go out. Just boom. It's dark. And then you hear, da, da, da. Da, da, da. Da, da, da. You hear tamps floating in. Quiet. I'm starting to drift off. And you can hear guys mumbling. You hear somebody. There was one guy in the next bunk to me. I'll never forget him, Edward. Edward talked continually to himself. He used just one word. It was just like a steady hum in my ears. And it would rise and fall like the sea, see? And he would slowly drift off to sleep. And as he drifted off, it would slowly get quieter and quieter. And the words would get less frequent. And then, at last, I knew he was really going out when he slowly spelled it out. And he's asleep, you know. And that's, that's the way it was in communication. All of a sudden, the door slams open. And there, standing in the doorway with the lights of the company street behind him, is Gasser. He's six feet seven. I mean, he was a permanent PFC. He looks down over the quiet barracks of Company K, and he says, hey, guys, hey, fellas, I got an idea. You can hear the bunks ruffling. Somebody says, knock it off. And you can hear Edward start to go again. <laughs> hey, fellas, I got an idea. Let's put on a show. Well, that was the first time I ever heard that word used in unison. It was all directed at gassers. This time, it was two words. Now, there's a real army scene, you know. That really happened. And Gasser says, gee, fellas, I thought you liked me. I just wanted to do a little tap dancing. And off he went into the darkness. And that is a real army moment. However, New Year's was something else again. And I remember looking forward. I've been in the army now for three years. I mean, you know how long three years is, friend? Oh, boy. I mean, three years is so long that when you read the word civilian, it's like reading about the Burmese. You know, you don't think of yourself as that. You're a soldier. Three solid years, you know. And I've been, you know, everywhere. Company K is slowly moving across the face of the map. And now, you know, it's interesting, as we stay together longer and longer, we got to know each other's, each other's little intricacies, little idiosyncrasies. We can even now understand what Edwards was talking about. <laughs> see, he used this word all the time in variation, see. 
And you could even tell when he was happy, you see. Because he used it a different way. You know, we're all very intimate now, working along through the world. Company K, canteens are rattling. Our mess kits rattling. You know, I went, I wore out three mess kits, friends. You know, and so here it is now, three solid years, and we're back in the United States. I'll never forget this moment. We're back in the States. We're sitting over here at Fort Dix. And it's about time for New Year's, see? But you've got about 10 days. We're sitting in the Fort Dix barracks there waiting. We don't know what they're going to do with us. They brought us back. What are they up to? Company K has returned. And now our uniforms are all, you know, the uniforms are on us so long now that they're like skin. Yeah, they're like our skin, you know. Have you ever seen a uniform that even gets pimples? You know, it, just, it just fits you, you know, it's your, it's your skin. And no longer do we make the funny cracks, you know, the little jazzy jokes. We're sitting in the barracks. When in comes Gasser, he's white. He walks up and down the middle of the barracks. Did you hear? Have you heard the rumor? It's a rumor. We had been pursued by rumors. All of our world was a rumor. In fact, it even got to the point where life itself was a rumor. You know, there's a rumor. He said, did you hear the rumor? Edward says, what rumor? He stopped for the first time in three years. What rumor? There's a pause. Zinsmeister gets up from his bunk. What rumor? Jasper says, they're sending us to fight in the Pacific. <laughs> the Pacific? You mean it's going to start all over again? Jasper says, now do you want to put on a show? <laughs> and then we slowly subsided. We sat there for about 20 minutes. And then it happened. I will never forget this moment. It happened. Unbelievable moment. The door swung open and in walked a strange captain. He walked in. It's you men of Company K. You men in the signal corps. I want to ask a question before I tell you why I'm asking it. How do you like the Army? Well, now you learn as a GI of three years standing to not tip your hand. If you go, boo! You know, that's a very easy way to have a little kick. But six weeks in the grease trap pays for it, you know. So you don't tip your hand. We're all sitting there. He's at ease, man. It's all right, man. I just want to ask if there's anybody in this company here that would like to re-enlist. <laughs> you know, immediately you can see these little eyeballs all, all around. Re-enlist? What do you mean re-enlist? We ain't unenlisted yet, Dad. <laughs> and then he sprang it out. He came out, he sprung it on us. It was unbelievable. He says, man, Company K has been selected for discharge. Company K's getting out of the army. And Gasser immediately, you know, his face gets white. 
See, we'd been through all the booby trap courses. We knew that anything good was liable to blow up in your face. Oh, yeah, you remember that great movie, Man in the Army? Oh, the fantastic movie. I'll never forget this movie. A training movie. It started out, we're sitting in there, all of us getting trained. We got our tin hats on our heads, you know, waiting. We got our M1s. Over here is the gas mask. You got this little, you know, this little first aid kit they give you, you know, with the little band-aid. You're supposed to put it on if your head gets shot off, you know. You, you know, it's flesh-colored. It was very nice, you know. You know, oh, it's all there, you know, the canteens. We're sitting there watching these movies. And hour after hour, we would watch these crummy movies. And it would be this second lieutenant. There was a 12-year-old second lieutenant, see. He was ROTC from Texas Christian. They were all from Texas, you know. Six feet two, you know, pink face. He'd walk up there and he'd say, Men, I'm the Army Orientation Officer. I'm going to orientate you. We had our own word for it. I'm going to orientate you today, and today we are going to see a very valuable training film. This film may mean the difference between life and death. You will be quizzed on it immediately following the film. Corporal, start the projector. He's been saying this for years, you know. And we're sitting there. Now, many of you have never seen an Army film. They see films all the time. And they come on like this. You see this thing. Big Seal comes on. U.S. Army. And the music goes... Official Signal Corps film. This is classified material. Keep your mouth shut. Now, this film is called Basic Infantry Grill. And for one half hour, you watch a guy go right face, left face. You will notice that he is using his left foot. Your left foot is on the left side of your body. Repeat it after me, left, L-E-F-T. You have a left foot. Every man is issued one at birth. You have passed the Army medical exam, you have a left foot. The next command that will be given will be right face. Right face, repeat it after me, right face. Right. And the entire company sitting there, you know, Boy, those tin hats get awful heavy. And then you get your rifle up your nose, you know. And now the next command will be right face. Listen to the command, right face, right face. The foot on the right side is called the right foot. Repeat, right. Well, so you can see these are really jazzy movies. And after a while, you know, you get so that you sort of snooze through them, you know. And we're sitting there one night when all of a sudden, we're sitting watching a movie. The projector comes on. This is an official Army orientation movie. Da, 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 special classified confidential material. Uh-oh. Da, 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 da
Booby traps. Wait a minute. What a film. I'm telling you, if they played this film on the Late Late Show, it would, I'll tell you, it would really make those ratings go up. We're sitting forward now. Everybody in company came out leads for me. We ain't seen this film before. And you see, all of a sudden, it's a countryside. It's a real movie. It is not a drill field. There's a real movie, and you can see bombed out farmhouses. Yeah, you see a tree that's blasted. It's a war movie. We're waiting for Errol Flynn, you know? They're showing us a picture. But all of a sudden, off from the left side of the screen comes this straggling-looking company. It's an infantry company, and you can see there's a couple of Signal Corps guys. They look just like us. They're coming along, you know? They got the rifles slung, and they got the hats on. They're sweating. They're in what they call roof march. They're just moving along, you know? And off here, you see this bombed-out farmhouse slugging along. And all of a sudden, all of us say, hey, that looks just like Company K. Look at it. Going along. And then you see the captain. All right, you guys. Fall out. Take 10 minutes. 10 minute break. Fall out. Stay in the area. And be ready to move out right away when we blow the whistle. All right, now, fall out. And all the GIs. Ugh. By the way, do you know that there's a special way of sitting on a pack yeah, you know, you sit like this, so you move it back, and then you scrunch your behind down, and you slowly move back so it doesn't come off, see? You hang your shoulders into it. And there they sat, see? The rifles. But all of a sudden, one GI looks back of them. He sees something back in a farmhouse. It's this little house. Have you seen this house? It's a little house with a moon on the side of it. It's got a little moon, see? It's got one little door. And he gets up and says, hey, fellas, look, look, holy smokes, I'll be right back. And he goes, he's got his rifle, you know, you see him go into this little house, bang, slam. There's a moment's silence, and then, boom, up he goes. And this voice says, there you have our enemy. That is the nature of the enemy, he booby traps anything. And all of a sudden, Company K is really hit by this, you know. We can just see. Can you imagine that? Fantastic? Isn't that a great way to meet St. Peter? You arrive, you know, just as your buckles open. And he says, what were you doing? He says, what do you think? That's when I got it, you know. And from that minute on, you know, it's, it's funny how these things affect you. From that minute on, every time I go up into the Seagram building or these famous buildings up here, I walk into these big chromium-plated rooms, you know, it's got a little sign man on that. And I always have a vague sense. Is this booby trap? <laughs> Is this booby trap? And so Company K had gone through all of that whole scene. And now all of a sudden it's getting out. We can't believe it. We're out of the army. And two days later, two days before New Year's Eve, I'm out. And I'm walking down the street towards the house. You know, the house that I grew up in? And it looks real little, see? And I can see all the other houses around there. And I have not informed anybody that I'm coming home. I'm walking down the street. I look around. I've got my GI raincoat on. 
I've got my bee bags over my shoulder, you know. I've got the ruptured duck. You know that little thing? I've got this big orange envelope with the birds all over it, you know. I'm out of the army. It's two days before the New Year's. Two days. By George. Three years. I walk up the front steps. I'm expecting this great moment when I get home. I look in my pocket. And by the way, all through the army, I carried the keys to the front door of the house. I always wanted to use it, see. Pull the key out, open the door, swing it open. And the red cabbage comes drifting out. I can smell the meatloaf. I walk into the kitchen. I got my bee bag. And there standing at the kitchen sink is my mother. I put the barracks bags down. She takes one look and says, Is it you? I said, Yeah, Mom. She said, They'll arrest you. I said, No, Mom. <laughs> I've got a pass. I put the barracks bag down. I sit at the kitchen table. Slowly sit down. Look around. She looks over at me. She said, how long do you have? I said, Mom, I'm out of the army. I'm home. With that, she turns back to the kitchen. She says, now you can clean the basement. <laughs> it was that instant that I knew that the post-war world had begun. And it was going to be just like all the other worlds. A lot of basement cleaning, a lot of pushing, and a lot of shoving. And that New Year's Eve, I went out on my first post-war date. How many of you remember your first post-war date? It's New Year's Eve. I'm dressed in my civilian clothes. Ain't no one at ease now. Just a minute. How much time we got here? How much? How much? All right, wait. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, gang. We've just gotten the official radio time, and you know, they don't lie. They don't lie. We've just gotten the, uh, the word. We have about six minutes until 1967. It is now 11th century watches, everybody. 11.55. Get your horns set. Got your horns ready, gang? All right, let's hear them first. Let's sound them out here. Let's hear them horns. There you go. Hold it. All right, let's hear it. Okay, hold it up. Four minutes. Four minutes. Four minutes. Oh, let's hear it. Come on, blow that thing. All right. All right, now, 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 wait a minute, now, wait a minute. You don't want to, you don't want to shoot your wad before the show goes off. Now, hold it. Now, wait a minute, keep that horn ready, get ready to go. Oh, yeah, I wonder how many guys out there tonight, right now at this very minute, out there in the darkness, right now, at this minute, it's four minutes until midnight. There are millions of guys out there who this next year 
this next coming year are going to be in the Army. Maybe some guys here tonight. And let's, there's one right there. And before we do anything else, let's give those poor guys one round of sympathetic applause. Come on, let's hear it. And you know, I, <laughs> I, I don't know how it's going to... Now, now, one more thing, too. It, we've got just three minutes now. Now, there's a lot of stuff happened in 1966. For example, we got a new mayor. Oh, what do you mean? He's, what's the matter with, with Mr. Lindsay? He's very cute. All right, all right. Now, now, poor old Mayor Lindsay. Can you imagine, though, friends, being mayor of Fun City? You really can. So let's give this poor guy one round of applause because 1967 is going to be hell. Let's give it to him. Good luck, Mayor Lindsay. Good luck. All right. All right, friends. In 1966, for the first time in 6,000 years, for the first time in all recorded history, at ease now, the New York, the New York Yankees landed in last place. All right, now, all right, now, now, all together, what do we wish the New York Yankees for 1967? Let's, uh-oh, hear it coming on. There comes Guy Lombardo. The sweetest music this side of heaven. We have just one minute. One minute, gang. Get your horns ready. Let's go. Is that a great horn? Let's go. One minute. We got out. How many seconds? 45 seconds. 45 seconds. How much? Let's go. We got 30 seconds. One half a minute. 30, 30 seconds. So long, 1966. How much? 15 seconds, 14 seconds, let's go, we've got 10 seconds, 